Welcome to EdTech Tuesdays. My name is Eva Hutmacher. This episode is a conversation about sustainable IT, BHAG, and how we can act to improve our future. Meet Niklas Sundberg, author of the book Sustainable IT Playbook for Technology Leaders. He works at Asabloy Global Solutions as Senior Vice President and Chief Information Officer and sits on the board of directors of several non-profits. Välkommen till EdTech Tuesdays. En intervjupodd om innovation, lärandekultur och teknologier för lärande. Vi samtalar med svenska och internationella innovatörer, investerare, thinkers och doers som utmanar status quo. Podden produceras av Snabbfoting. En ledare inom kontinuerligt lärande och digitala plattformar. Awesome to have you here today. What is your dream picture of sustainable IT? Well, I think we, um, in the visionary state, I would say that we have made significant progress to decarbonize IT as a whole. Um, we've made a uh, significant contribution to develop new technology to contribute to a wider spectrum of sustainable tech for uh, new innovative uh, technologies that's required to decarbonize uh, everything that we have in front of us in terms of the major challenges to decarbonize the 59 gigatons that we are emitting on on a yearly basis. So um, I see sustainable IT as a major uh, factor and contributing part to be part of that journey. Mm, great. And uh, Niklas, if you'd tell a bit uh, about yourself and uh, the background why you wrote the book. Yes, if you would have asked me uh, 18 months ago if I uh, was planning to become an author, the, the answer probably would have been no. But as a result of the company that I work for, we committed to science-based target in October of 2020. And uh, as a result of that, each functional owner within um, the company was also asked to create a strategy. And as I was starting to do research, uh, as I was looking into the different areas of the CIO agenda, I also realized that there wasn't anything on the market. There was very limited research available, no updated books. So uh, as we were creating our sustainable IT strategy, the idea to write a book and to create a vehicle for other technology leaders and to, to other technology professionals to get started on this journey sort of materialized. Mm-hmm. And once I had the idea and uh, I had a number of interests from, from publishers, the journey was quite quick to, to get started actually. And uh, the writing process was fairly quick from February till mid-September. Uh, so it's been a, a very fast process to be honest and and uh, quite overwhelming as well i would say fantastic it is a huge project to write a book so yeah have have a, a job a daily job and do this uh, it's really really good to you yeah it looks like you're highly motivated in this uh, Yes, I felt this was a a very, very clear purpose for me. Uh, I think also um, with the limited time that I have 
with the vast uh, agenda that I drive in, in my professional life and, and also in, in my personal with, with two children uh, at home and, and my family. The, the limited time that I have was really between five and seven in the morning. So um, six, six to seven days a week I, I was writing uh, every morning. But then also it was a fairly good cutoff point in the morning when the family wakes up mm-hmm. to get on with the day and start something else. So I, I never really experienced writer's block mm. because I only wrote for, for two hours maximum in yeah. the mornings. Yeah, concentrated, yeah, focused time on yes. the work. How do you define sustainable IT? Yes. Previously, we, we talked a lot about green IT, for example. Uh, that's the terminology that's been around for the last 15 years. What I felt was that that doesn't really encompass the whole ESG agenda in terms of environmental, social, and, and governance. So I came up with uh, a, a new definition for sustainable IT, which composed of three buckets, really. Uh, the first one is sustainability in IT, which is your own handprint in terms of what do you consume within IT. It can be anything from data center, your cloud, IT hardware, your energy, and so forth. The second bucket is sustainability by IT, where you leverage IT and technology to create new solutions that either you sell in the marketplace and so forth. And the third bucket is the S, really, uh, the social factor. So IT for society. What can you do with IT to bring tech for good? In the Nordics and and in the greater part of Europe, I would say that we tend to be more focused on sustainability in IT and sustainability by IT, the E, the environmental. In the US, they are focusing quite a bit on the the S in in ESG, the the IT for society or or tech for good. They have a different type of social contract uh, between a company and the community that they operate in. Here in the Nordics, we have a different types of social structure, a different types of safety net for, mm-hmm. for, for people. And in North America, it tends to be a, a different type of conversation when it comes to IT for society and, and being um, a powerful force in, in tech for good, so to say. And uh, corporations, um, how much challenges do they have with this today to, to, to make the change? Um, I would say if, if we look back to uh, GDPR, for example, um, that was a big, massive effort for companies all across Europe and, and companies that were operating in Europe also to comply with that directive. But it also meant that the burden was on the auditors to see if you're compliant or not. But obviously you had to do a lot of work to do it. What we see now with legislation coming out with the EU taxonomy, the EU Green Deal, uh, we have the EU uh, Corporate Sustainability Directive, the CSRD, uh, coming into effect in in January of 2024. This means that 55,000 corporations across Europe need to start reporting in an accurate way for their scope one, their scope two, and scope three. Mm. And this is a major change because... Most companies today, if they have started with the ESG as a, as a main topic and, and, and a driver, they are primarily have focused on, on scope one and scope two, which is your 
internal emissions and probably have not spent that much time understanding your value chain and, and your scope three, both downstream and upstream. So, and, and here the, the burden falls on each company to report this back to EU. So I think this is going to be a major, major challenge for a lot of companies to be able to comply within less than one year. Do the companies need some sort of tools uh, to um, uh, make the change faster? Definitely, I think you need some form of reporting and, and some form of uh, data aggregation to be able to uh, get the accurate reporting, the non-financial reporting uh, correctly. But I think the biggest challenge is probably the, the data ingestion because it's not only the data that you have internally, you also need to um, retrieve it from a number of outside sources, both from your vendors and so forth. Mm. And I think that's going to be a big challenge in terms of how do you get consistent data? Um, we see anomalies between different vendors, how they interpret what they should be reporting and so forth. So I think the EU also has a responsibility to come up with clearer definitions and, and requirements in terms of mm. how do you report on, on the corporate sustainability reporting directive. Yeah, thank you. And um, do you have any examples how uh, sustainable IT can uh, help corporations contribute to a more sustainable future? For sure. There, there are a number of great examples. And I think the important thing is also to remember that each corporation, each organization is going to be unique. They're going to have different types of starting points. I think the important thing is to understand your starting point, to understand your CO2 baseline, your greenhouse gas baseline in terms of how much do you emit per year. And once you understand that, you can start identifying what are the key action areas that you have within your enterprise. Where should you focus to start decarbonizing? Um, I think what most technology leaders and technology professionals realize once you have your baseline established is that it's not that hard to start decarbonizing um, mm. your, your enterprise within IT, for sure. Mm. But I think the challenging part is really to start understanding What's your starting point? Because once you have your starting point, you can start deriving different type of um, target state directions in terms of what should be your, your goal ultimately. Yeah. And um, if we stay uh, with the status quo, what is the consequence of to stay in status quo? Yeah, I think that's the... the the challenging part and, and, and the, the bit that really, really scares me because there are a number of key factors that I see that are very, very troublesome. Um, when I started looking at this and I had to go back and calculate over and over again because I, I couldn't really believe myself, but collectively we are consuming 25,000 terawatt hours of energy per year in the world. And The expecta expectation by 2030 is that this is going to rise to 40,000 terawatt hours um, by 2030. Mm -hmm. But there are also some calculations that maybe suggest that we will be at 60 or even 70,000 terawatt hours of energy. Mm -hmm. And today, um, 
the ICT sector, for example, the internet communication telecom sector, mm-hmm. they are emitting somewhere between 3 to 4% of the total emissions or, or the energy that's consumed. If you take a subset of that, data centers is consuming 1 to 2%. Um, 1 to 2% does not, might seem that much. But if you put it in parity with uh, the global aviation industry, which is also at 2%, mm. it's, a, it, it's at the same level. Mm. And, and especially here in the Nordics, we, we talk about flight shame uh, and so forth. But we don't really talk about streaming shame, email shame, storage shame, and, and so forth. So I think the awareness of the impact of technology is, is quite low still because we don't understand that in order to get energy, it is sourced from high carbon sources in some cases. Mm. And this contributes to the high carbon footprint as well. Hmm. And if we look ahead to 2030, this uh, number for data centers, for example, could sixfold hmm. to roughly 12% uh, by 2030. And that's only seven years away. And if we take ICT collectively as a whole, it could rise to 8,000 terawatt hours um, by 2030. And as if you remember, eight out of 40,000, that's 20%, right? Hmm. So it's a massive, massive shift from... Yeah the 3 to 4% to 20% in just seven years. Yeah. And I think this is where, you know, the paradox sits because we have to be very careful. I think um, there are great opportunities, obviously, with digitalization, electrification that we see uh, worldwide. But we also need to make be, be, sure, be careful with how we use technology mm. and that we build technology on sustainable digital infrastructure. And I think that's the, the biggest shift going forward, that we cannot continue to digitalize in this rapid pace unless we do it in a sustainable way, because then we're going to be in a much bigger trouble than we are today. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And how aware are corporations of this that you pre- describe now? Is well, it the w- knowledge gap or...? I, I would say there, there's definitely a, a knowledge gap. And um, when I started thinking about writing this book 18 months ago, I, I felt that the awareness or the discussion around sustainable IT was, was quite low. You did not hear Gartner, McKinsey of this world, IDC, ISG, were not talking about sustainable technology, for example. There was very, very limited research on this topic. But then something happened um, roughly six to nine months ago mm. where the discuss- discussion, the conversation changed quite rapidly. Mm. And you saw a number of uh, non-profit organizations surfacing and uh, technology leaders were taking actions. They were starting to raise some hard questions to vendors in terms of what is your contribution? How are you helping us decarbonizing uh, our IT? And, and especially as a technology leader, as myself, as a CIO, we obviously consume a lot of IT, we, we buy a lot of IT, and with the transition to cloud, we're obviously also putting a lot of workload in the hands of other vendors that will run our infrastructure for us. Mm. So for them, they need to be part of this journey. They need to be committing to um, decarbonizing the infrastructure that they are running or uh, mission-critical um, information systems on. Mm. Uh, can it be an idea that both the decision makers and like the procurement uh, is better in uh, 
in this topic uh, well, I to, think to make better <laughs> purchase decisions? I think procurement has a, a, a very, very powerful uh, lever, obviously, in the buying power that they have. And uh, what I would like to see is that we have um, more standardized requirements on the market. I don't think it's beneficial if each company comes up with their own sustainability mm. requirements. So I think it's important that we collectively as an IT industry come up with joint requirements on this. Uh, it should really be off the shelf. Similarly to non-functional requirements, for example, in terms of yeah. performance and what, what have you and so forth. So I think we, we do have uh, some homework to do to collectively create a, a framework in terms mm -hmm. of how we can, we can be better uh, purchasers of sustainable technology. But we, I think we also need to get the requirements in order to, to um, be e much more easily consumed, so to say. And uh, how important is it with a strategy in the organizations and uh, do the corporations have it in place today? Well, I think if you look in the Nordics, I think most companies have some form of uh, sustainability strategy. Uh, I think it's very comforting to see that a lot of the, the larger companies are committing to the SPTI uh, initiative, the science-based target initiative which means that you need to set a midterm target to uh, at least half your CO2 footprint by either 2025 or, 2020 or 2030, for example. And then you need to set a target where you're going to be CO2 neutral or net positive, mm. for example, by 2040 or, or 2050. Mm. So I think most companies are at that chasm where they have crossed that, where they have committed openly to these targets? Um, do they have all of the technology? Do they have all the know-how to get to the end state? Probably not. But I think it's very comforting to see that sustainability officers and, and chief sustainability officers is um, putting requirements on different types of functions uh, to decarbonize the, the operations of the company. Mm. And, and obviously, it, it's going to differ if you're a bank or if you're in manufacturing, for example, where it makes sense to start decarbonizing um, your enterprise, for example. Can you see a difference uh, around the world, uh, the Nordics, compared to, to other continents? I think we, we are off to a good start in, in the Nordics, and, and, um, but also in, in Germany, there's a big focus on this, um, and France, for sure. Belgium, Netherlands. So um, I think we will see uh, quite rapid uh, acceleration of this. I think we've seen the knowledge gap that we saw um, 12 to 18 months ago is sort of closing up a bit. And also you see uh, some of the vendors, some larger vendors are also committing to help their customers on their decarbonization journey. So I think we... we We'll have we, by by 2025. I think we've seen uh, we will see a dramatic shift, and there are also a number of vendors that have also committed to be net zero by 2025. Mm. So um, I'm quite optimistic in terms of looking at the head in the next few years. I think what the energy crisis has has taught us in Europe, for example, is that we 
can change as human beings, as countries, organizations, and so forth, we can make the switch quite quickly. I saw a uh, graph uh, yesterday where wind and solar actually is the biggest contributor of energy in Europe now, mm. which is a major shift from what we saw just a few years back. Where Absolutely. We were very, very dependent on oil and gas. Mm. So I think we... We need a few more of these black swan events, like unfortunately the the war in Ukraine, which has turned into an energy crisis. Mm. We had uh, COVID, obviously, um, propelled a number of um, um, leap years forward in terms of digitalizations and so forth. So, um, unfortunately, we, we do need some of these black swan events that pushes us forward and and the. Uh, helps us accelerate and making these leaps that we, we really need to make. Mm -hmm. um, because it's also very hard to comprehend that, well, this journey is seven years away. Um, how do you make a strategy for that? How do you break it up into sizable chunks that will take you to at least half your two footprint by, by 2030, for example? So, um, I think it's important to, to establish early wins, uh, get sort of the, the cadence going, get the attention, and then build on that. And, and I think once you get the, the, the snowball in motion, I think you will also discover new things to address and you will find new opportunities to decarbonize. And um, as I wrote in my book and, and uh, showed in a number of use cases, mm. there's a great opportunity to reduce your CO2 footprint by two-thirds uh, without making a, a very, very big effort, but making a concerted effort and mm. building in sustainability by design in your IT operations. So I think it's it's about creating awareness. It's, it's about getting started. It's about bringing people on a journey that will help them to uh, be part of something and that they feel that they're part of a purposeful journey because I also think it's very important to um, enable people to uh, make sustainable and smart choices. And that's one of the enablers that I see in my role as a CIO, to leverage technology for, for the, greater, the greater good of, of people to, to make sustainable choices within the organization and, mm. and outside. Have you seen uh, any good uh, success stories uh, with... Um yeah. Yes, I think one of the most obvious one and uh, is uh, carbon intensity. There are some great sources out there to uh, understand what the carbon intensity is in, in Europe or in North America. For example, electricitymap.org is, is one great resource. And if you go in and look there, you can see, for example, that the carbon intensity in the Nordic region, in in Iceland, Norway, Sweden, Finland, we, we have a carbon intensity somewhere between 20 and, and 30 grams. Mm. If you just look at Germany and, um, and Poland, for example, in Germany, the carbon intensity is somewhere between 375 and 400. Yeah. In Poland, it's somewhere between 775 and, and 800. Mm. So here... Between Poland and, and Sweden, for example, you have an, an optimization opportunity of 30x, mm -hmm. for example. 
and it's not that far away between Poland and Sweden. Mm. And obviously, Poland is doing a lot of great things with wind power and so forth, and they they will catch up uh, as well. Um, similarly, with Germany, there's a 20x factor between the Nordic countries and, and Germany. So just by making a sustainable choice of where you put your workload from your data centers, um, maybe you put it in Finland as opposed to putting it in Germany. Mm. You're not a, you're not going to half your CO two footprint. You're actually going to improve it by twenty by twenty x, mm. and and that's a tremendous um, achievement, I think, and and that's really simply about education, mm. because you and me can sit here, you're nodding, you understand the mm. concept, mm. and and uh, people I talk to, they 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 see this obvious thing, and it's very easy to bring it to the board as well and say this goes in line with our sustainability strategy this is what we should do this is a very simple choice to make is is that uh, a form of awareness and insights or is it a cost uh, uh, differentiation here as well well I, i think yes there is an educational piece to it for sure Um, I think some of the cloud vendors have um, enabled different types of options where the pricing is different between if you want to have low latency, if you want to have low carbon intensity, or if you want to have low cost. Mm. So, yes, I think you are going to pay a premium if you want to have low carbon intensity. But I think also the alternative cost of uh, having to Um, report on your CO2 emission and and the vast amount of, of CO2 that you will be emitting, the alternative cost will eat up the the difference. Mm. Uh, I think so. Um, it's a normalization factor, similarly to what we see with the energy market in Europe at the moment, where we have fairly rapidly moved to a lot of renewable energy sources, but we are also paying a premium all across Europe in terms of high energy prices because we also have a scarcity. So, um, but once we're we're above that sort of uh, chasm uh, or, or across that chasm, I think also the the prices will uh, be a lot cheaper um, mm. going forward. But I think there will be uh, a period of where you will have to pay a premium um, for these type of services. Mm. So uh, yeah, a conclusion for me: uh, more rich countries and countries that have the awareness, they have the choice to select uh, better solutions, better technologies, and the more yeah poor. Yeah. Yes. Um, but but also, I, I spoke to uh, a very interesting uh, person, Tony Tio, who is uh, running a company called Renewables for for Africa. Yeah. He sees a fantastic opportunity for Africa to be the energy provider for for Europe because if you can put a lot of solar power in mm. the desert in Morocco for Absolutely. example as long as you can solve the transmission uh between um Africa and and mainland Europe. So um his vision is really that Africa has this great opportunity because of the sun is almost there constantly and mm. um, so I, I'm not sure that that will be truth the truth in in 10 years mm. I, I also see great opportunities for for Africa to be a, a part of this sustainable future going forward mm. because they have a very very low penetration today mm. interesting 
And uh, what do we need to make a sustainable IT to happen? Uh, I, I would recommend that we start with a few uh, building blocks. Uh, start with looking at your own data centers, looking at what you have in the cloud, looking at understanding your carbon intensity of these different type of buckets that you are running your, your enterprise in. The second factor would be to look at your IT hardware. Just a standard laptop, for example, can differ somewhere between 300 kilos to 750 or even 1,000 kilos over a four-year life cycle. So it can differ quite tremendously. And it also has an impact, obviously, how much non-virgin materials is being used in uh, the manufacturing process. And within IT hardware, it's important to understand that roughly 80% of the carbon footprint is consumed in the manufacturing process. So once you receive a laptop or a smartphone, 80%, 90% is already been consumed before you even receive it in your hand. So your obligation as an end user is obviously to make sure that you can use it longer, prolong the longevity of that asset. And once you have reached end of use, to find a sustainable, circular way to refurbish it, repurpose it, and the last resort should really be to recycle mm. the asset. And that's that's the second biggest factor. The third biggest factor is obviously energy. Mm. Uh, how can we leverage uh, running more efficient data centers, running uh, our end-user devices, uh, shut them off when we're, they're not in use, for example. As an example, we saw when we looked at globally that 30% of our end-user assets are not being turned off at night, for example. Most people only work 8 to 10 hours a day. So yeah. this is a great, simple uh, saving opportunity. Um, the fourth one is really the circularity around how we manage your IT hardware. Mm. Everything from uh, end-user devices like smartphones, computers, desktops, network equipment, servers, uh, routers, and so forth. So creating this circularity around this, make sure that the material comes back to the sourcing and the manufacturing process. Mm. And and here we talked about sw Black Swan events a, a bit earlier in, in, in the mm -hmm. podcast. And, and due to the, the rising cost of, of uh, material and uh, raw material prices, we, we're also seeing that when we give back our hardware after four years, a couple of years ago, this was actually a cost center for us because we yeah. had to pay to get it refurbished, to re get it re recycled. But now, due to the, the rising cost in, in raw material, this has actually turned into a profit center for us. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be a lot of profit, but as long as it's sort of cost neutral, I think that's a good starting point. Mm -hmm. But the key message I, I would say is that it's not expensive to get uh, started with sustainable IT. You can also find some great cost-saving opportunities and some revenue streams that you can generate from this. Um, so that, that would be my fourth um, key bucket within sustainable IT. Mm. Everything underpinned that is obviously procurement. You can make... Uh, you can leverage your, your buying power 
to, to make sure that you can make a shift in all of these sourcing categories that you have. And um, what distinguish companies that succeed? That's an excellent question. I think we're, we're still about to find out. I think we have some uh, front runners that have made some very, very bold commitments. Maybe we can mention Microsoft, for example, which have said that by 2030, they're going to be net zero. And by 2050, they're going to give back all of the carbon that they have consumed since the inception of the company in 1973, 1974. Um, but I think the jury is still out. Uh, there is a list of the top 100 most sustainable companies in the world. I think also we will see with the, with the SBTI, the Science-Based Target Initiative, you will also see that companies falling behind. Mm. They were not able to meet the commitments, for example. Just this week, uh, we saw BP, for example, uh, reporting record numbers in terms of profits. But at the same time, they're actually rolling back their environmental commitments because they see that, well, this revenue stream is very profitable for us and we are not going to decarbonize in the same pace that we intended to, mm. to do a few years back. So I think this is the, the challenge that we will see also in the next uh, three to four years. Who is actually going to live up to their promises and who is going to fall behind? Mm. And I think that's going to be very, very uh, interesting to see. Unfortunately, th there are going to be some some companies falling behind. I'm, yeah. I'm, sh I'm sure of it. But now when you say uh, look three to four years uh, from here, uh, what do you see? Which sort of development? I think if you look at, on the three macro trends that we usually refer to, it's digitalization, mm. it's electrification, and it's climate change. Yeah. So I think we will see a massive rapid uh, digitalization just going forward. I think ChatGPT sort of shook us all in terms of the capability that's available to us in terms of AI going forward. Um, due to the energy crisis in Europe, I think that will propel uh, the electrification f uh, further quite quickly, I would say. Uh, the EU has said that you cannot send any combustion cars by 2035. And, and I think that's probably an achievable target. But we also need to have new technologies in terms of battery storage, for example. Mm. So uh, how do we harvest and, and store wind when it's not blowing, for example? Mm. How do we make sure that we can um, charge the whole um, fleet of, of vehicles that will be electrified in the next five to ten years? Mm. Uh, I think that's also extremely important in terms of finding new energy sources and also to make sure that we electrify the transportation sector because energy sector is 41% of the total emissions worldwide. The transportation sector is roughly 14%. So together, they are actually 55% of total emissions worldwide mm. out of the 59 gigatons that I mentioned before. Mm. So those two sectors are extremely important to make sure that we decarbonize. Hmm. The other two sectors is obviously the industry where cement and steel, we need to find new ways in how to produce low carbon cement and steel. And in the agriculture sector, 
we also need to make sure that we reduce the CO2 footprint. Mm. And uh, the organizations, they are full of leaders. Um, if we have a look on the leader's role, how can they contribute to this change? I think if, if I just reflect back on my own leadership, I think it's very important to, to set bold targets uh, for your companies. Um, it, they should really feel in your stomach that this gives you an uneasy feeling to um, achieve. Because this is tough, this is hard. We don't have all the answers, but we are also the last um, generation to solve the climate crisis. We cannot leave this for our children or for the generations to come. So we need leaders that can make bold statements and to follow through on it. Mm. And people follow bold, hairy goals, so yeah. to say, mm. uh, BHAGs. Mm. And I think that's what we really need. Uh, people that take the baton and, and just move forward. And companies and, and people will follow. And do they need education? And uh, yeah, maybe your book as well? For sure. Uh, I think we have a responsibility to, to obviously democratize this uh, area. I think it's great to see uh, a lot of students coming out from universities um, studying sustainability, sustainable innovation, sustainable technology, and so forth. So I think that the students will also um, give us a, a great uh, leapfrog uh, ahead because this will be a very driving force going forward. But then, like you mentioned, we also have a responsibility to educate the people already in the workforce. Mm. So I think here uh, there is a gap and, and we need to find. But I think there is also with with um, lack of competence, there's also great opportunities. Mm. So here is a great field to get into. That's for sure. Yeah, and uh, I'm really glad to see uh, the awareness increase. Um, we have uh, an upside uh, to, to educate the organizations now. And w when I worked uh, with sustainable investments, uh, uh, 2007 and 2008, uh, uh, it was so much to do. So I'm really glad to see what's happened now and uh, the rapid change in uh, in this field. The financial market has a, a great responsibility because uh, the financial market is um, fueling the economy, so to say, and also has a great power to be able to decide where they're going to invest, so to say. So if you're not going to be sustainable, then you're going to have to pay a premium to get loans or to get bonds, for example. So mm. the financial sector has a tremendous, tremendous responsibility here mm. can you tell me about one uh, experience uh, you have learned a lot from well i think the as anything in life i think you the important is to have a vision in terms of where you want to go i think the hardest part is to get started but once you have that vision once you have that target um for me at least it's a lot easier to sort of get to the finish line once you've sort of set the milestone and and where you need to go then that's really the important thing um find break it down into to sizable chunks same thing with sustainable it for example we didn't start with everything we 
picked out the few key areas that made sense for us, where we saw the biggest decarbonization opportunities. But once we started seeing that, once we started talking about it, communicating in town halls and so forth, we also got great engagement for people. And that obviously fuels yourself in terms of giving yourself a lot of energy to continue on, on, on this track. So I think the hardest thing is to be that front runner uh, and, and to get started, really, and then people will follow. If you have three advices for companies uh, that would like to start uh, and uh, set priorities to this, uh, what, what, what do you say? Well, I think, like I mentioned before, I think the important thing is to really understand your starting point. So uh, I cannot stress enough to establish your baseline in terms of your greenhouse gas baseline. It could be very, very simple. For example, if you are a professional service company, but it can also be very, very complex if you're a bank or, or in manufacturing or in a traveling industry, for example. So, uh, but by establishing that baseline will give you so much data to be able to take the next step, which is really to identify what is your key action areas? What is the opportunity for you and, and your organizations to get started? And, and don't start with everything. Pick mm. the two, three key areas key focus areas and really start delivering on some early wins and then third step is really to get started to start accelerating this journey and continuously um, following up continuous improvements um, get started is it's almost like the financial market with compound interest the, the earlier you start the easier it's going to be to decarbonize your mm. journey If you wait five years, it's going to be a very tough journey to decarbonize your mm. enterprise. How can the listeners uh, learn more about this? Well, um, just in a few years, in, in the last few months or, or the, in the last year, there are some uh, non-profit organizations uh, surfacing. We have uh, CIO CO2 uh, surfacing in, in Sweden which has gained a lot of uh, traction uh, amongst uh, technology leaders like myself. You have the Green Software Foundation, which is focused on software development primarily. They also offer a, a free of charge uh, certificate in terms of sustainable software development, which I really recommend. If you are in the US, uh, sustainableit.org is an organization that's also gaining a lot of traction, which has also Um, a lot of um, name-worthy CIOs uh, in big companies all across U.S., which also are on this mission to, to contribute to a, a more sustainable world. Um, but then there are obviously a lot of university resources as well uh, to educate yourself, uh, to get a certificate in terms of sustainability and so forth. So I think there's a plethora and... and uh, The sky is really the limit in terms of what you can achieve within this area because it's also an area that's going to mature over time. And you get into this field here now today, I think you're going to have great opportunities to uh, be very, very attractive on, on the job market. Mm. Great. Niklas, if you tell a bit more about your book, what is most important for you? Well, the most important for me with the book was really to uh, make it practical, pragmatic, um, 
a book that you don't have to read cover to cover. It's really uh, a playbook. So it's divided into three parts. One part describing the why, why sustainable IT is important and the wider sort of climate change agenda and why it's important to listen to scientists. The second part is really the what. What are the key action areas that you need to focus on and dig into quite detailed level of that, but also provides uh, a number of additional resources to explore and, and to research further. And then the third part is really um, the hardest part, the how. How do you get started? Um, and I spent quite a bit of time on that and, and also to include a number of resources that you can download off the website sustainableitplaybook.com. So you, you don't have to reinvent all of the tools that I've created for you to really get started with this. Um, the whole idea behind the book was really to create a, a vehicle for technology professionals to get started and to make it very, very easy to get started tomorrow. And that's the greatest feedback and the greatest reward when people come back to me and say, this was so easy, I can really get started tomorrow. This is you know great resources. And I really like to hear about all of these success stories. So if you uh, have any success stories out there, please get in touch with me. And I, I love to uh, share them and to really understand uh, your success journey in sustainable IT. Oh, awesome. And what, uh, what reactions uh, have you um, uh, got so far? been very very positive reactions uh very great reviews uh on amazon.com uh overwhelming amount of people in in social media sharing the book uh <laughs> and uh some people tell me that th that's all they see when they log into social media these days uh people sharing uh success stories about the book and and how easy it is to get started and so forth so mm. that's what i really mean by how overwhelming this has been that the, the book has received a lot of attention, uh, worldwide attention, uh, obviously a lot of national attention in Sweden as well. But um, that's what was one of my biggest purpose with, with the book, to create a vehicle for people to get started all across the world and to share their success stories because that's the mm. most rewarding part, mm. really. Um, because I think... Um, Sustainability is a team sport, a lot of people say. And the same thing, is, same thing applies to this. Uh, mm. Sustainable IT is a, is a team sport, really. Mm. So we need to support each other. We need to come up with new technologies, new ways. Um, I'm sure there are going to be a number of new uh, use cases to be leveraged in the coming years as well. And that's, that will also be probably in, in the next version of the book because I... It's, it's things are moving along quite quickly and, and just since the release of the book there are some some great breakthroughs like uh, hydrogen storage for example for mm. replacing diesel generators in data centers with, with hydrogen for example so there's some great advancements uh, that's happening quite rapidly so mm. um, very very comforting to see that uh, we're moving um, in the right direction mm. thank you and what's next for you after this book, uh, book launch? What's next for me is, is really to, um, to educate, inspire, and, and to activate people. 
yeah. that was the that was the key uh, driver for me to get this book out in the market, um, to get it into as many hands as possible, to spread the knowledge, educate people, but also uh, to see the fruits and and the results of these outcomes. Mm. Um, I think that's the most important factor to be able to see that we are uh, making a collective uh, switch towards a more sustainable IT journey. Mm. Awesome. Niklas, it's time to round up this uh, episode. Uh, The time uh, flies. Uh, How can the listeners uh, reach you? The the easiest way to reach me is uh, LinkedIn. Uh, Niklas Sandberg, um, easiest way to get in touch with me. Uh, I'm quite quite active on on LinkedIn, I would say. So easiest way to get, get in touch with me. Thank you very much. Awesome to have this conversation with you today. Thank you. Thank you very much, Eva. Happy to be here. Du har lyssnat på EdTech Tuesdays. En intervjupodd producerad av Snabbfoting. Vi är ledare inom kontinuerligt lärande och digitala plattformar. Besök oss på snabbfoting.se för att läsa mer om framtidens lärande.